You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. We'll just take a moment just to say, how amazing are your campus pastors? Hey, Pastor Darren and Pastor Bear, come on, why don't you like, make them feel loved this morning? They are two of the most like faithful, dedicated, honest, genuine people that you'll ever meet. And you know what? If you follow them as they follow Jesus, I don't think you will go wrong. I just wanted to take a moment to honour them. You know, you might know me, you may not know me, but um, together with my husband, Earl, who you saw before, he's pretty good. Um, we are youth pastors together here and it is our privilege. It is awesome to do that. And we recently had the privilege of kicking off an evening extension service as well, which has been a whole lot of fun. It's been so good. And um, life is just a big adventure. Hey, there's so much more I could share uh, with you about myself, but you know, we're here to come around the Word of God, so you can always come and chat to me later, um, and I'll tell you anything you want to know. Open book. Who's been loving the Revolutionary series? Anyone? So amazing. Hey, I love that um, in this series, you know, we've focused on some people who may have slipped under the radar a little bit. They might not always be the first people that jump into our mind when we think of a revolutionary, but sometimes those are the best ones, hey? The ones that slip under the radar, but still partner with God, be faithful, you know, in things that that sometimes might seem hidden. And and God just, he takes that and he does amazing things with it. And um, there's been so many great revelations that probably wouldn't have been awakened if we hadn't taken some time to dwell on what God did in some of the lives of these people. And just one of the things that I loved, which was last week um, at Central, Pastor Simo, he gave a great word about Cornelius. And he just made this comment that I'm pretty sure it was one of those ones that, you know, when they just give you one for free, a little extra something. It wasn't one of his key points. But he said that providing for our families can be revolutionary in our day and age. That going to work might not seem like a revolutionary thing to do. But when you faithfully attend your job and you work for God and you do it faithfully and you bring an income in for your family, that actually in our culture, that can be quite revolutionary. Not everybody is doing that. And I just, I sat on that and I just thought, wow, like sometimes it's not the big things, it's the little things as well. And God, he can, he can use anything for his glory. And I just loved that. So that was that was really cool and I'm sure there's been many more revelations that you've had that I encourage you to go back and and ponder on as well. So this morning we're going to be talking about Hosea, which is going to be awesome. He is this really cool guy in the Bible and as I've been preparing this message, I was quite blown away by some of the things that he did and some of the ways that he obeyed God. Um, But before we get into that, you know, it is good to get to know each other a little bit. I said I wasn't going to talk about myself that much, but I'm not really. I'm kind of going to talk about my husband, so that's okay. <laughs> but um, just give me a little wave here if you like musicals. Anybody? <laughs> Bet you didn't expect that, hey, right? That wasn't that many hands, so I hope I don't lose you with this illustration. Please stay with me. Okay, so <laughs> I wouldn't say that we are... Um, musical fiends in our house. It's not like we're at the theatre all the time or anything. So don't get the wrong idea. We're not, you know, when it's, it's, we're selective. We're selective. And one, one of my favourite musicals is Grease. 
It is the best. I haven't actually seen it on stage, but I've watched the movie many, many times. I know all the words. It's great. Um, but one of Pastor Earl's favourite musicals is... Now, I can't actually pronounce it, so this will be a good time. Uh, Les Mis. I'm just going to stop it there. Nickname. Les, I'm sure you know the one I mean. French Revolution. Recently, or in the last few years, there was a movie about it. Hugh Jackman. It was all a good time. It was pretty intense, actually. So if you haven't seen it and you want to see it, it's a long movie, so just keep that in mind. It is long, the movie version. So we've seen it on stage in Sydney, and I surprised Earl with that one time because it felt like, you know, being an awesome wife. And it was, actually, it was actually really great. And when the movie came out, we saw it many, many times at the movie theatre. And it has played many, many times in our house as well. So there you go. Something you didn't know about Pastor Earl. But I promise this has a point. So... I'm not going to give away the whole story, but there is just a really cool part in it that I want to share. And really through the whole thing, the author of this story, Victor Hugo, it was originally a book. It has a lot of redemption in this story. And it's weaved, it's a theme that's weaved the whole way through, just like God's theme for our lives, really. And at the beginning, so we meet the main character, Jean Valjean, isn't that fun to say? His name totally is repetitive, but anyway, Jean Valjean. And he, as a young man, gets arrested because he's stolen a loaf of bread to feed his family. And he gets a few years, but he tries to run, and so it ends up being a couple of decades that he is a slave. And he gets pretty buff, actually, because they make them work really hard. So he gets some big muscles, but he's a slave. And he's not looking too good by the end of it. And he finally gets released. And it's been several de decades cut off from everyone that he knows, cut off from his family that he was just trying to feed. And he's been isolated and it's hardened him. And he has come out and he is now trying to find a job. And he's on parole and he has to give his parole papers to everyone that he meets to try and get employment. And he's kind of in the same situation again where... He's getting rejected left, right and centre. No one wants to hire him. So how is he going to eat? And he ends up needing somewhere to sleep, as you do. And he sees this like small barn type thing in a backyard. And it happens to be in the backyard of a convent. And he goes and sleeps there. And he's freezing cold and he's isolated. He has nowhere to turn. And the, the priest who lives there comes and finds him and invites this man, this convict, into his house to share a hot meal. It's just a humble place. It's not the priest isn't loaded or anything. It's just humble, but he shares what he has, and there's nuns in it, and it's all very, you know, of the times and dramatic, and it's great. Um, and the convict, he's just, like, shoveling it in, and he's all dirty, and he's got no manners, and they just lavish love on him. They're so kind to him. And then, as you do... Everyone goes to sleep, and the priest gives him somewhere to sleep. And in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean, out of desperation, he collects up the silver that he can find around the place that belongs to the priest, that belongs to the convent. And he grabs it up, and he takes off in the middle of the night. And so he steals their valuables, and he gets caught because, of course, and he gets dragged back to the priest. And the guards that bring him back, they say, this man stole your silver. And he had the hide to say that you gave it to him. 
And the priest just blows my mind. I always get a little bit teary in this part because the priest says, yes, I did give it to him. He totally lets Jean Valjean off the hook, but then he takes it a step further and he goes and gets these super expensive candlesticks that would be the most expensive thing that they had. And he says, you left so early, you left the best behind. And he gives those to Jean Valjean as well. Isn't that amazing? If someone broke into our house and stole our TV, I don't think Earl would be saying, take the record player and here's my MacBook. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that's how it would go. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't know everything about you. So you never know. But how incredible, right? You left the best behind. And this just undoes Jean Valjean. He can't believe it. He's like, why would somebody be so kind to me? And the priest says to him, take this silver and start a new and honest life. Go and change your future with this. It's just incredible, right? And it's such a, such a good illustration of Hosea and what we're about to jump into. And ultimately God and how he is to us. He always takes it one step further. Does what we would never do in our right minds. Shows more grace, more mercy than would seem necessary. It's amazing. And so we're going to jump into Hosea and I'm going to link those illustrations up later. That wasn't just for the fun of it, I promise. <laughs> but as you can see, it's a very powerful you know, image of just going that extra mile and doing what seems unthinkable. So Hosea, he is he's great. He's a minor prophet. And in the time period that we're looking at, he... He is a prophet during the time where it's about 200 years after Israel has split. So they're divided, a northern and southern kingdom. And Israel has a super dodgy king, not a good guy, King Jeroboam II. He is not awesome. He's wreaking havoc. We don't like him. He's the um, villain in our story, or one of. Um, and so for a lot of his life, Hosea was called to speak by God and he did. He wrote poetry and there's writings of his in the book of Hosea. But God also called Hosea to live a life that was actually a prophetic message. And there was such a message from God in Hosea's life, which I believe is the same for us as well. And just something to point out about Hosea is that, you know, the people of Israel, they were engaging in idolatry. They were kind of worshipping God, but kind of worshipping other stuff as well. And the social, of, the social conditions of their day really relate a lot to ours as well. Immorality everywhere, corrupt leaders, not at C3 Victory, but like, you know, out in the world we have corrupt leaders and <laughs> just got to clear that up. That could sound bad, couldn't it? Um, you know, there's idolatry, worshipping other things that aren't God. And we have that as well. That's, you know, people say, oh, the world's getting so much worse. All those things that Hosea was living in, we have that too. But he didn't conform to his culture. And he stayed with God and he knew God. And I love that about him. Now, God asks Hosea to do something a little bit crazy that, I, as I was reading it, it kind of made me think, wow, God, everything you've ever asked me to do seems really small compared to this. Um, so in Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it says, The Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, and he said to Hosea, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. 
This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, she's the prostitute, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And they end up having three children together. First of all, Hosea obeyed God when he said that. Whoa. <laughs> um, pretty, pretty out there request of God. And it doesn't stop there. It actually gets even more dramatic. You would think this is the dramatic point, but there's like even more. And so in chapter 2, God speaks to Hosea or speaks through Hosea about Israel's destiny and how Hosea's life is actually quite an illustration of Israel's destiny, the people of God. And then, and so Hosea's life is a prophetic message. And then we get to this point where we see Hosea really come through and be such a revolutionary. I bet you thought he was a revolutionary already, but it's about to go to a whole nother level. So <laughs> Goma has wandered off and gone to do her own thing, like we all do sometimes, but probably not in the same way as her, maybe, I don't know. Um, and she has gone back to her old ways. So she has gone into that life again of prostitution and adultery and, you know, being away from Hosea, who chose her and brought her in. She's gone away from that. And so Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. I kind of read it like Hosea saying, then the Lord said to me, no, but <laughs> he, he is he's good about this. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to the other gods and love the raisin cakes of pagans. And then it says, So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, and so too will I be towards you. It just blows me away so much that God says to Hosea, go again. Go and get her back. She definitely didn't deserve it, right? I think we can all agree on that. Not only does he go and bring her back, he pays for her, pays money for her that's owed, he pays the price. And it's such a prophetic message of God with Israel God towards us, that we don't deserve another chance, but God goes and pays the price and brings, brings us back. And I love how Hosea says, you shall stay with me many days. Like there's no ambiguity here or that this might be temporary or this might be a quick fix, that he's like, um, you're staying with me now, lady. <laughs> Stop going around. You live with me. You're my, my wife. We're together. You're going to be in the household of Hosea. That's kind of the end of the story. Stop running off. Um, and, you know, sometimes we feel justified to punish people as they deserve, right? I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I have definitely felt like that. When they've really wronged you, and Goma had really wronged Hosea, it wasn't like she'd just done something small. It's not like she just partied for one night and didn't come home. She was gone. And... She had wronged him so severely. But the love and the redemption that is shown to her, it actually doesn't make sense when we just try to think about it with our human logic. By law, Hosea actually could have had Goma stoned. 
She could have died. Like, that's how serious this point was at. God told Hosea to redeem Goma, and Hosea obeyed. And I love this, that just withholding the punishment, just by not killing her, he was already being pretty gracious. He hadn't had her stoned. He was already being pretty kind, but God took it one step further, like he always does, like he always, always, always does. That God, you know, not only does God withhold the punishment we deserve from us, but he makes a way that we can have a new life and not be a slave to that anymore. He always takes it one step further. I love it. And Hosea's response, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't based on Gomer's actions, but he responded according to the love and faithfulness of God. And that is, that is what makes it so amazing is that our default is to respond to people according to their actions, according to how they treat us, according to how they make us feel. But Hosea responded not even according to his own love, but the love of God, which you would have to, right? It's the only way that situation's ever going to work out. Oh, my gosh. You know, God broke the rules of law and religion for the sake of relationship and restoration. Isn't that amazing? There was a law in place. It was pretty clear. And he busted through that to illustrate how much he wants us, even though we do things that mean that we don't deserve it. Hosea's prophetic message, his life speaks to me even now, all these years later, about God's profound love for us. The more I dwelled on it, the more I was just thinking, man, how am I even going to put this into words? God's profound love for us that runs and goes to get us and brings us back when we've wandered off. It's incredible. Another time comes to mind when, you know, there was pretty amazing grace shown and there was a very mind-blowing situation and that's in John chapter 8. And this is a woman who has been caught in adultery and the Pharisees, those guys, not a fan, uh, <laughs> they are thinking, all right, we're going to go trick Jesus. This guy thinks he's all that. Let's see what he says about this. And so John 8 verse 2 says, Now early in the morning he came again, into the temple, and all the people came to him, which is Jesus, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they'd set her in the midst, so they, they throw this woman in the middle of everybody, what jerks, um, <laughs> and they say to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. That's got to be awkward. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that she should be stoned. But what do you say? And they were testing him to try and find a way that they would be able to accuse him. And I love Jesus' response because, you know, I can be feisty and I would have probably got into an argument with these people, but he doesn't do that. He is so much wiser than what we are. And so he stoops down and he writes on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. That's awesome. So good. And 
they keep asking him. So they keep asking, you know, what do you say about this? He raises himself up and he says, he who is without, the, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So if any of you don't have any sin, by all means, stone her first. So those who are there heard it. They're being convicted by their conscience. They all know that they have at least something. So they disappear one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh my goodness. How good is our Jesus, right? Jesus' revolutionary response is certainly similar or quite, quite identical to Hosea's with Goma. Is that this woman, she could have been stoned too. The law was still there at this time. And the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to say that, to say, yeah, come on, let's kill her. Um, and Jesus, he broke down the walls of religion. He, instead of getting into a disagreement about her actions, he spoke into the hearts of people, which is so just like him, right? To look into our hearts instead of the outside and call out what's really in there. So good. You know, he was the only perfect one there and he didn't throw a rock at her. He didn't, he didn't even boast and say, well, I have no sin and I could throw a rock, but I'm not going to. He just didn't do it. He let his actions speak. You know, Hosea let his actions speak into what the love of God is really like. He didn't make a big parade about it. Look, I'm going and getting my... Uh, questionable wife back. He just went and did it. He just went and obe- he didn't throw a festival of the return of Goma. Everyone look at this good thing I'm doing. He just obeyed God. And Jesus, he didn't go around going, I'm the son of God and I'm not content. He just did it. He just released her. He just left her better than when she first saw him. That woman caught in adultery went out of his presence better than when he found her. And Goma, you know, she was better for having encountered Hosea. He showed her such an incredible kindness that I'm sure she was not expecting to receive. And he changed her future twice. He went and brought her back and said, "Mm, you're staying with me. You are staying here for many days. And just like Hosea, Jesus' response wasn't based on this woman's actions. Otherwise, she would have been stoned. But it was based on the compassion and the love and the faithfulness of God that, that overrides our sin, that overrides the boundaries that we kind of put up and then he breaks them down. Even, even with the cross, you know, That covered our sin. Jesus dying covered our sin. That would have been pretty graceful. But he rose again to life so that we could have a new life with him as well. He didn't just do the bare minimum. He took it further like he always does, you know. 
He took it further, and I love that. And it's a revolutionary response to us, not just withholding punishment, but inviting in, welcoming, embracing, including adopting into a family, not just pardoning what you've done wrong. It's just amazing. You know, Hosea, he moved towards Goma. He took the step. He didn't wait for her to come crawling back when she had no other options, but he initiated that. Jesus moved towards the woman in adultery. He could have just ignored it or he could have just left, but he interacted with her. He gave her some of his time. And Jesus made the ultimate first move towards us in dying for us, in coming to this world, in rising again. I love it. And I just love that anyone who experiences Jesus is left better than they were at the beginning. Just so much better. And it just got me thinking, when people experience us, are they left better than when we found them at the beginning? No matter what they look like, no matter what's on the outside. And the thing is that some people actually do wrong us very severely. You know, in Hosea's case, he had really been wronged. He would have had every right to be upset and to even put this woman to death. It's, I mean, sometimes we just think we have the right to slam the door in someone's face or something, but, you know, he actually had the right to put her to death. And if we just focus on people's actions, we're going to get stuck in that place of what they deserve, of how to protect ourselves, of how we think they should receive love or, you know, maybe if they apologise first or if they start looking like they have it a bit more together or if they would just help themselves, then I would reach out. If they would just make a move towards me, I'm so, I'm so tired of making the first move towards them. But it just got me thinking, are people better for meeting us even if they're unlovely, even if they're full of bitterness? When they're with us, do they experience God's love? Do they see Jesus in us? And this convicted me as well because, of course, God's going to speak to you about the people that are super difficult. And I was thinking to myself, wow, God, this is a bit fresh. Am I qualified to preach this? He qualifies us, doesn't matter. Um, Hosea, Jesus, loved with a revolutionary love that makes no sense except for with God it does. I really believe that God is calling us to make a change from looking at people's actions and shifting our focus to be on God's love and God's faithfulness. That's going to cause us to make a move. That's going to cause us to, to take a step. And it's only possible with God. We can't actually do it in our own strength anyway. There is no way that we can do it on our own. But if we invite him in, it can happen. Sometimes, you know, we focus on miracles being like physical healings or um, provisions and different things like that. But sometimes revolutionary love has a lot of emotion attached to it or someone's really wronged us or there's pain. And a miracle can be God healing that and enabling us to make a move. 
that's a miracle as well. Joel, I'll just get you to come up if that's all right. We can love with that same revolutionary love, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. All things are possible with him. And there's a couple of things that God just kind of highlighted to me. And one of those things was that, you know, and this is where I was when I was preparing this message, is that I knew I needed to ask God to forgive me for withholding that love from some people who had hurt me. And I think that at some point in our lives, we're all going to be at that point where someone has hurt us and we have every right to be closed off. And I'm not saying you have to let people come in and walk all over you. There's wisdom. You know, there's definitely wisdom as well. But if we're letting bitterness get inside of us, if we're not allowing God to to work in those spaces, then we could be missing some really great opportunities for redemption. Imagine if Hosea had have said, um, no way, God. Not only has she prostituted herself before I met her, she went away and did it again. Imagine if Hosea just had a focused on Gomer's actions. That would just be a tragedy. If Jesus had have just focused on the actions of the woman caught in adultery. She would have just lived with shame for the rest of her life. Shame and isolation. But he gave her a new future because he didn't hold it against her. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.